Okay, and we are back for another episode of AlphaCast. Looks like we're live, uh, Dr. Bear Lando and I. Uh, we took a week off for Reunion Summit. It's good to be back. Hey, everyone, come on in. I want to make sure that we are good. Looks like we are on DLive and um, YouTube today. So we do this live. This is a live podcast uh, and we are excited to be back at it today, Bear. Um, how are you doing today, my friend? Hey, I'm doing good. I'm um, looking forward to just a little in-house talk. Uh, these are always nice and relaxed, and we can do whatever we want. Always fun to have uh, guests, but it's great when it's just you and I, too. So maybe we can even have some more audience interaction today as well. Yeah, that would be lovely. Um, today's topic is going to be a fun one. We're talking about uh, the biocomputer and what that means. And uh, it's, yeah, it's just good. I mean, I'm still a little hungover from Reunion Summit. That was a um, quite a feat, seven straight days of, of live streams and replays and um, just uh, continual screen time for me. It kind of sapped my energy but it was i was definitely riding a high the whole week on it and um it was uh something that i'm very proud of and it was great having you bear uh involved and you did uh an amazing talk that i felt was one of the highlights of the week and it was uh definitely um really fun to see uh a lot of the alpha vedic community involved so we appreciate everybody who came out that was in the live chat it was a lively crowd. Um, we touched on a lot of different topics and practical solutions. And I have an announcement. Guess what? We are launching the free replay weekend that's starting uh, tomorrow. And uh, that'll go from Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for the Easter weekend. So uh, as Christ is reborn, comes out to offer caramel chocolate eggs to all the kiddos, uh, so will the free replay weekend be available. So uh, that is our Easter egg to you guys. Uh, if you missed the content, you can jump on board there at reunionsummit.com and enjoy all of it for free. There's 41 talks, uh, workshops, live panels. Uh, Bear was on an amazing live, or not a live panel, but a recorded uh, panel with uh, Dr. Andrew Kaufman and Adam and Josh Biggleson and myself. And that was a really fun one. And then uh, we had a fun little wrap-up party that you popped into, Bear, um, that was pretty emotional and, and touching. And I hope everybody can catch that because it kind of summed up the whole week really well and was something that uh, I really enjoyed doing and having everyone, a lot of the speakers pop in and say hi. That was fun. So, um, yeah, uh, Bear, were you able to catch any of the talks during the week? Yeah, some of them, but I'm getting the replays. Uh, I missed, uh, you know, about half of them. And there's really a lot of good people I wanted to see my, myself. And, uh, you know, just other duties around here and, and everything kept me busy. So I couldn't stay at it. But the great thing is, is, uh, you know, I can get the replay and watch the whole thing over and over again. There's a lot of things in there. A few of them I might actually want to watch a couple times. And, you know, Mike, also, I wanted to say that uh, you and Josh Del Sol did an amazing job. And, and I know the, the week itself was very taxing, but I also watched you behind the scenes. 
preparing for it and trying to pull this whole thing together. So it wasn't just that one week, that one week culminated a whole lot of work. And I was aware of it behind the scenes, but people that just tune into the summit, they have no idea what Mike and Josh went through just to get to day one. Well, that and that, yeah, I mean, it was like two, three days leading up to Music and Sky event in Joshua Tree, and we told this story uh, during the summit, but Josh calls me. He's like, hey, let's turn this into a summit. Let's record it. Let's hire a videographer team and and then get an editor. And I'm like, ah, oh, I'm barely holding it together to do an in-person event in the heart of the lockdown. Now we want to turn this into a summit. So, yeah, it was... Um, it was quite a feat, and uh, we thank we thank everybody who joined us and all the wonderful volunteers out there. Um, our amazing Telegram admins that jumped in and helped. Mandy was just a rock star and still is doing it for the customer support, along with Giselle, of course, uh, and um, uh, Paula Pratt. Thanks so much. She's been with us since day one. And it's just been uh, an amazing thing to see people who, who are volunteering their time to get this information out. And we need it more than ever, Bear. It's really become quite apparent that um, the world is becoming more and more zombified as uh, the days go by. And more and more people are being caught up into the programming of the Matrix, which will tie into our discussion today, I assume, um, because literally program programs are being run. Go ahead. And it also ties into today. Happy April Fool's Day. And <laughs> I think, uh, you know, uh, April Fool's has been uh, going on nonstop, you know, on the population for quite a while here. But today we get to really uh, uh, celebrate it in a special way. And uh, boy, talk about hoax upon hoax. And, you know, a lot of us uh, out there from past times have been warning uh what's coming on you know that's culminating right now that people are watching and we're saying this is coming folks this is coming now we're saying here's the next stage here's the next phase and uh, a lot of people just aren't still seeing it and uh the, you know the the real bothersome thing is not that uh you know it's any of our, anybody else's business what somebody else chooses to believe but um you know, there's great consequences now with what the population is being called on to do, you know, like uh, modify their genome, <laughs> things like that, uh, you know, make themselves into a different species. And uh, so, yeah, it's there's a lot of important things right now. And I think today's talk uh, will be very interesting, too, because we're going to discuss something that we haven't even alluded to that much, but it will tie in with everything we have talked about in the past. And uh, just to help us understand an, yet again, another facet of ourselves and uh, what we're really doing in the matrix here. And it's all about coding. Uh, and we are in fact a biocomputer. Our little avatar in the simulation is a biocomputer and it has been encoded. It was originally encoded by our creator to do some marvelous things. And uh, in the, uh, you know, over the eons, I think maybe going back whenever this Archon energy or whatever the heck it is, uh, started um, trying to usurp us, you know, maybe what, 20,000 years ago or something. 
uh, they started <clears throat> overlaying us with other codes and also uh, helping us forget that we uh, are in fact in charge of our own bio codes. Mm -hmm. And in past times, we um, in different disciplines that I was involved with in clinical medicine, uh, no, most notably back or notably back in the 60s and 70s, we were able to make some great inroads into that understanding and make it into a, a, a very effective way to help people uh, trace the breadcrumbs of how they got in physical predicaments or you know what we call illness in the first place and and just leave a map that not only allowed them to see how they got there but each step of the way to assist them in recoding themselves back to the original and get rid of all the overlays so that their symptoms disappeared. So we'll talk a little bit about that today. And, you know, Michael, I just, uh, uh, you know, so our audience knows uh, you and I, we like to kind of wing it. That's just the way we do it. You know, I don't take notes or, uh, you know, or prepare anything. And, um, in fact, with today's presentation, we haven't even talked with each other about what we were talking about. And I really like that because it allows us just to kind of riff in our way. Uh, the information that we're going to be discussing today is something that we could turn into many episodes, many episodes. So we're going to highlight a lot of things. And then I really like... Uh, uh, you know, I know you and I will just turn it into a regular conversation. I'm counting on you to ask questions and then also hopefully from our audience. So um, so with that in mind, uh, where do we want to start here? Well, I mean, there's a million places we can go. And it is interesting that we could come right from where what's happening in the world right now as I'm seeing people um, virtue signaling by getting the um, jab, you know, the good old jabber, um, which is crazy and it's heartbreaking. And I actually ended up kind of breaking down to my wife last night about it. Cause it's just, uh, someone recently, um, yesterday, uh, that's close to us. Who's young, not even 20 yet went and got it. And it was just like, why, why? I was like, I don't understand this world, why people are doing this. They're just not educated. And she said, don't judge, don't judge other people. You don't know. And I said, well, they haven't done the research. And she's like, you, how do you know? And I'm like, because if those who think they've done the research are literally reading corporate propaganda, you have to know where to go to do the proper research. And she, she succinctly said, this is like a religion. This is a belief. And this is what people want to believe in. And who are you to judge them for that? They are on their own path. And as Dr. Batar said during the um, summit, when I brought this up about the mask stuff, and I said, I, you know, my wife has this opinion that those are people who that makes them feel good and good for them. And why, who are we to judge? And he said, well, she's more evolved than we are because of course we see them as sheeple. Um, in many respects, but that's a challenge to me, Bear. It's like, man, um, where do we stand here? Uh, I guess this gets very spiritual, but in terms of tying this into today's discussion, this is where we need to be going so that people do have the proper education and understand what the hell they are, what we are physically here in this realm, so that we can make the proper decisions and not just go out and virtue signal that we're doing our part and literally, as you said, 
um, permanently, possibly, even though I don't like to believe anything's permanent. And maybe, and I'd love to talk about that today in relation to the biocomputer. Um, I believe we can upgrade and we can tinker and we can fix anything. Um, but um, yeah, it's just, um, it's sad. It really saddens me. And actually one of the the top topics to uh, during the summit, uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Cahill, uh, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, Cahill, not Cahill, Cahill uh, from Ireland. Uh, this was uh, brought up many times was what is going to be um, the repercussions for those who do not get the cornholio jabber uh, and in relation to somebody who does. And, you know, of course, this kind of goes into some germ theory stuff that um, we typically denounce. But also, as you rightfully told me over the phone last week, we don't totally know. And if there is an intimate mixing of fluids, what can come from that? How can that in in inject into our my biocomputer? To keep it on uh, topic here today. Uh, and it, literally now I'm thinking about real computer viruses, which um, we do know can exist because when you download a corrupt file on like a PC, you can get malware and this stuff. And relating that to biology is interesting. So I'd love to go into all of that today and, and touch. I know we're kind of over the whole germ theory stuff, but the transference concept of information um, is interesting to me and in how we relate that to the biocomputer. So I'd love to, I mean, we could start wherever uh, we want. And I know we did want to give some updates too about the farm and everything's going on, but maybe we can, we can end the talk with that since we've kind of already okay. jumped right into the topic of today. But um, is that a good place to start relating to what's going on in the world right now? And, and yeah. with this yeah. gene therapy, <laughs> Yeah, fantastic. And it isn't a vaccine. It is gene therapy. In fact, they call it that themselves. One thing people need to understand is the professor doctor class is the lowest on the rung. They are the useful idiots. And I'm including myself because I went through that training <laughs> uh, for the whatever you want to call them that's pulling their strings and the institutions that train people like myself. And so if you go back to the, uh, you know, the Royal Society eugenicist, uh, and this is nothing more than population reduction and control, culling the herds, and instead of a little card, you know, that shows that we, um, you know, we can proudly virtue signal on Facebook that, oh, I got my vaccine, yippee, I, I think we really should get a little tag on our, e on our ear, you know, and and, you know, really look the part of what we're playing because uh, we're no better than cattle when we do that kind of thing. So what people trust, the words of people like myself and professors in college are actually the most indoctrinated and uh, indoctrinated with a lot of BS, really. So unfortunately, that's who we're taught from a very early age to trust and uh, we have to kind of get over this notion that doctors and professors really have some kind of, um, you know, patent on the truth when in fact uh, it's actually the opposite. And then, you know, we, we discuss a lot about how, uh, you know, those circles have been compromised and the real truth that, you know, we talk about the things that you know, you and I are both involved with behind the scenes are the old sciences that 
come back from ancient civilizations that have actually been uh, more greatly perfected since. And of course, those things, when we come out with them, even though they produce demonstrable results, which we can prove, uh, they get marginalized and gaslighted and everything else. So um, that is a great segue into the biocomputer. And I'll just start with a little bit of the history. Um, back in the 70s, I started training. Um, you know, I had uh, gone through my kind of conventional medicine certification and I was uh, in naturopathic college, but I was already uh, very advanced in my postdoctoral training. And that was well before I, after naturopathic college and chiropractic and all that, uh, I was uh, in uh, training hundreds of hours with a gentleman by the name of George Goodhart, uh, who came from a long lineage of uh, doctors himself and his family and osteopaths. So he was really old school and he became, you know, I'd say my first true medical mentor. And we actually became close. It's kind of like a grandfather, you know. So anyway, George created something called uh, applied kinesiology. Now, applied kinesiology was really key in that it drew the links between all of our different levels of neurology, biology, but then he also incorporated uh, old school technologies such as acupuncture, meridian therapy, and what they knew, you know, back in those cultures. So um, what he understood, every muscle in the body is, uh, you could think of it as a display panel for an entire circuit in the body. And uh, it represented in, in uh, a meridian that we, you know, one of the major, what we call muscle meridians, uh, 12 meridians in the two center line, you know, for 14 and all. And each of these uh, meridian systems uh, shared common circulatory, electrical, uh, lymphatic, and so forth uh, um, networks with different organ systems. So based on the health of a muscle, which we learn to isolate, and uh, sorry, I've got a little noise in the back. We learned to isolate with precision muscle testing. We were able to show that the um, muscles were reflecting the health of this entire network, uh, including meridians and the organ systems. Now, um, with that, we were able to, through muscle testing, uh, discern to a great deal what was going on in overall health in a person's body. Um, and Mike, I'm just going to pause for a second and ask if you're in the house here. I think we might have lost you. No, I'm, oh, I'm here. I, okay. just, I just made you full screen. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. So, uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I'd rather look at your mug than mine when I'm talking, but that's okay. <laughs> as long as I know you're there. Yeah. So um, with that uh, information, we were able to do precision testing and also discern on many levels what was going on in the body. It was also a great advancement into what we think of as contemporary neurology. In fact, 
Uh, this work was greatly noted by practitioners and neurologists and, you know, people of all different professions across the planet. And we all trained together and it became a great melting pot because through it, not only were we learning this new discipline together, uh, but we also were able to share ideas with people across the pond that, you know, uh, and in fact, that was my first introduction to a lot of the old school European medicine and radiation things, uh, you know, that I've uh, practiced to this day. So, uh, so the main takeaway here is just like a household uh, circuitry, you know, where maybe the washer and dryer share the lights in the basement or something. And when you overload a system, then, you know, the whole thing, you know, sets off a circuit breaker. Uh, the same thing we found is that there's a hierarchy of needs in the body. And if, for instance, the liver was um, maybe overwhelmed with, uh, you know, things that it had to do, maybe it was overwhelmed with toxins from, uh, you know, maybe an overindulgent lifestyle or just with uh, things that were being exposed to, you know, with the environmental poisoning and things, uh, then the liver would really need more of the available resources that would normally be shared with that whole circuit. So what the body would do in its wisdom, uh, you know, no different again than a house electrical system, it would shut off those less vital functions. So it would maintain full function with liver, uh, you know, maybe with the lymphatic circulation, neurology, you know, all shared, but then it would shut down, uh, you know, that one component that was less necessary, which would be the muscle that's involved. Uh, in the case of a liver, uh, you know, we knew the major muscle meridian, uh, you know, the, the muscle involved was, uh, you know, one, uh, one of the divisions of uh, pectoralis, uh, you know, or muscle or pectoralis sternal division. And so you might start having shoulder problems and things. And, you know, uh, originally I started out with more of an orthopedic bent. And when I learned this, uh, you know, uh, next thing I know, it's, you know, I'm testing the muscle and okay, here's your shoulder problem. You've got these rotator cuff muscles that are literally offline. They're not even responding to muscle testing. Your neurology can't even find them when you try to, you know, resist against testing. And, uh, you know, but then that's what led me more into the whole bioterrain journey and, and, uh, doing more internal medicine. And so through the understanding that that muscle is off, then there was more advanced techniques to troubleshoot more or, or on a deeper level, um, you know, what component of that network really needed to help. Well, for instance, if the liver was involved, is there some type of nutrition lacking? Is there some sort of other process we need to do to take the burden off the liver? Or is there another priority in, uh, organ involved uh, where we need to treat that instead because the liver is pulling the weight of that organ and it's, you know, really, you know, doing damage or fatiguing the liver. So we had all these ways of prioritization troubleshooting and what was great about it you know people would come in maybe their back just went out or something and you know we would go through the process and not only would we be able to treat the real uh you know hierarchies of that particular circuit uh so that their entire health improved and then at the same time when we were done with our work the muscles back online because the body saying okay 
you know, just like in a household system, you know, you, you fix a problem, you, you reset the circuit breaker and now it stays on because you're not overloading the system. Pretty intelligent design. And that brings me to the major point that we need to understand is that there is no possible technology in the outer world that we have brought forth or will bring forth that is not already existing in nature. It's just impossible. There's nothing new under the sun. We don't invent a darn thing, but we do, you know, use our uh, creativity in a clever way in order to uh, uh, bring forth facsimiles of what already exists in nature. Now, the next part of it goes into more of how that led into the understanding of the biocomputer. So how are we doing so far, Michael? Oh, doing great. And that is, you touched on a number of fascinating ideas from the fact that, I mean, every this is really holistic in nature, right? Everything's connected. It's all a big circuitry that's all connected. Um, and the muscle testing, I know, has been something that's come up many times in our Telegram group of late. Um, will we go into some actual um, practical ways people can do that testing at home or have, uh, or is it something where you have to go to a practitioner, a kinesiologist or someone <clears throat> like that to do that? <clears throat> Excuse me. And I know that like traditional Chinese medicine and with acupuncture and Ayur Ayurvedic practices, there's a lot of, um, you know, those classic uh, indigenous uh, traditions that, that do this as well, right? With, through their own way. Yeah, that's right. I've just got a couple show and tells here. Okay. Um, yeah, that's a great question, and we should comment on it. I am all in favor of what anybody can learn in order to um, allow them to be their own doctor. Mm -hmm. And I encourage that completely. Um, now, this will step on a few toes, but I am a little bit of a snob when it comes to muscle <laughs> testing. Okay. Uh, muscle testing, the way we did it, uh, really followed a neurological model. And so it did require our doctor backgrounds to appreciate how the nervous system works and how to effectively interact and isolate muscles. Now, uh, early on, there's a, a gentleman who was in our circles who uh, wrote a book that he wanted to bring this forth more for the lay public in a highly simplified form is called touch for health and mm -hmm. touch for health was great. You know, it got, uh, what we we're doing kind of out to the public and, you know, uh, allowed people uh, a bit of autonomy to, you know, start doing some simplistic muscle testing, uh, you know, in order to, you know, just take control of their own lives. Fantastic. However, it's in no way or shape the same as what we were doing as um, doctor types with a background in neurology. And I'd say the downside of the popularization of muscle testing is that a lot of people are muscle testing and jumping to a lot of maybe wrong conclusions and making assumptions mm -hmm. that really aren't true. For instance, um, if you're not aware of the neurology of it, and we could go on all day about, you know, uh, just many examples of this, but the most basic, say you, you, you take a muscle and, and you're testing somebody and you say resist, 
and uh, you know you apply pressure and then they resist well what you're doing there uh, since they're responding to an outside force is they're accessing their peripheral or spinal nervous system now if on the other hand you say push you know you have them initiate the action a little bit uh, instead of just wait and be passively resisting then you're testing motor neurons that are activated when you initiate something yourself two different things uh, mm -hmm. again that's a simple explanation but people are mixing and matching different uh, levels of muscle testing, accessing different parts of neurology, and depending what you're trying to find out in the first place, you might want to use upper motor neurons versus peripheral nervous system. And then you get a bunch of people on the road that are testing the same individual coming up with different answers. Well, this is just one of the reasons why people think sometimes that muscle testing is a little spurious and doesn't work across the board practitioner to practitioner. But if you get uh, you know, trained practitioners that are working at a high level, you'll get a consistency of results. And you also mm. have to become not just, uh, you know, knowledgeable academically, but very, very refined in your, um, you know, uh, in your muscle testing. And if you can consider Gray's anatomy, which has 500 some odd divisions of the muscle muscles, uh, now we go beyond just a major muscle meridian groups for instance you could look at you know our first example the the pectoralis muscle here which is uh, you know part of a certain muscle meridian which will give you certain information but now if your testing is a little bit variant uh, so that you're accessing more the sternal division versus the clavicular division versus the costal division so forth you're actually now accessing different neurological circuits so there's a lot involved. Uh, one of the things that's very popular these days, they call it an O-ring test, mm -hmm. where you ask yourself questions and then you say, oh, is that strong or not? Well, what you're now doing is a mental game. Mm -hmm. And that's okay because, again, it can be training wheels into self-sufficiency, but you have to understand what you're doing. And uh, to do that kind of testing on yourself, as you're concepting questions, it requires a great deal of clarity. And the point I've always made is that if you are clear enough to get a good test on say an O-ring test, then you wouldn't need to do the testing in the first place if you were that clear. So, yeah. uh, so what I'd say, okay, uh, you know, I don't want to discourage people from doing self-help, but understand the game you're playing use it, but then as quickly as possible, move on beyond the training wheels and just start discerning directly without this device in between. If you're doing neurological based, we'll say science-based muscle testing, you know, then you really bring in a whole level of clarity into it that keeps the practitioner a lot more honest and you don't have to worry about, well, you do want a clear practitioner, of course, but you know, you're not just depending on whether or not that doctor is having a bad day or not. It's the same in the field of radiesthesia. And you know, we bring up things like biogeometry and and uh, you know the the Lecker antenna that I use to measure waveforms and and other devices as well. 
And, you know, there's another level of that. It's called take, um, you know, a dowsing rod, you know, somebody who's just very clear and they'll find exactly where water is. In fact, we actually had someone on the property here the other day that was good at that. And, uh, you know, what, again, with their clarity, they can just take, you know, like two sticks and, uh, you know, and they'll respond because that person is very sensitive to that energy within the earth. And then these are just an extension of that person. There's a whole reality to that in the field of radiesthesia, you know, when people use pendulums and things, it's the same thing you're dowsing and what you're doing is you're concepting. In other words, on the mental plane, asking questions and then getting a response through your neurology, uh, if you're sensitive or clear enough to what's going on. But uh, advanced physical radiesthesia, biogeometry, lecker uh, instruments. For instance, this would be a great, uh, a great show and tell here. Instead of a dowsing rod, what if you had a dowsing rod that now you could calibrate into all the dimensions of any waveform and all the subplanes in between and understand uh, numerically what these means relative to waveform mechanics. And not only is that going to refine or specify your questions, but it's going to take it out of the mental plane because when you have, for instance, a dual impedance antenna or maybe uh, a pendulum kind of technology that is designed where it can also tune in in very specific dimensions and specifications of a waveform, now you're going to get a much more demonstrable result. You know, you're going to get a root pull um, and it's going to uh, be much more accurate. And it's the only way that you can discern these finer levels of electronics, because if we try to do them, you know, with electronic instruments that are using dirty electronics uh, or energy electricity, then they override these, uh, you know, more refined levels in the first place. Muscle testing is very much the same. You can do concepting muscle testing, uh, you know, or you can do very refined neurological based muscle testing. So uh, again, uh, go for it. Anybody who's inclined to, you know, experiment in this thing, uh, but realize there's different levels of it. For instance, just in one of our basic books, you know, there are different volumes. This is one of the early volumes of uh, applied kinesiology. Hopefully you can see that. And this volume, just uh, as an example, um, is just relative to everything pertinent to the head, neck, uh, you know, and the whole what we call the stomatic mathic system with the jaw, the dental structures. And if you go through this, um, the the detail and the knowledge and the practical application of those things would put anything we learn in contemporary medical neurology to shame uh, in that, you know, if you go to an orthopedic uh, specialist and you have a knee issue, they're going to do some real lame basic tests and go, oh, okay, yeah, that's working, that's not working, and it's stupid. I mean, it's really, really dumb level stuff. Of course, where they excel is they have technologies where they can open up your body and do all the stuff that wows us. But then if they knew this stuff, they wouldn't have to open up and start probing into joints as much as they do because they could fix this, the, um, you know, the structures from the outside. Also, to do this, you have to have an anatomical awareness that is very precise because we can't just open up the body and look at the structures. We have to know 
you know, exactly where they are. We have to have a, a touch sensitivity that can palpate and differentiate between different structures, even down to the nerve level, let alone muscle divisions that are much uh, cruder level and much easier to discern. And, you know, so there's just a lot more training, a lot more refinement in this kind of work. Unfortunately, we live in the electronic contraption age where people don't trust things that aren't machines and, and things that we see on electronic scopes that can only tune into a very crude level of uh, reality in the first place. So um, the next level that we'll go into, one of our early colleagues in the applied kinesiology circles, and we're going back, you know, I was in those early circles and there was uh, chiros and osteopaths and, you know, medical doctors, dentists, and we were all learning together, but we were the pioneering circles learning from George. And um, uh, one of the gentlemen, his name was Alan Beardall, who became another mentor of mine and clinical kinesiology is what he coined. And now we brought it clearly into to the biocomputer model from applied kinesiology. And now we were not only isolating muscle meridians, which are muscle groupings, you know, which told us a lot. And there's still, you know, I still use those more general group tests because they have a time and a place depending on what you want to know and what you're trying to do. In clinical kinesiology now, we go with surgical precision into every division of every single muscle in the body. And through that, we were able to discover how to access all the different circuits associated with those muscle divisions. And each of those muscle divisions had associations with different structures in the body, cranial structures, dental structures, uh, uh, vertebral level structures, acupuncture, uh, meridian associations, um, uh, what we call muscle acupuncture points. So we were the, like really the first ones that added to the discipline of acupuncture in, in really 5,000 years. Uh, we were now drawing these really intricate ways that the, the nervous system interacts with those meridians by way of specific muscle divisions. And uh, also with vertebra, uh, I'm sorry, with uh, different visceral relationships. You know, you might say, like in our first example, we're talking about, you know, this muscle group up here in the shoulder, the, the uh, pectoralis muscle associated with the liver. Well, now we can go in and find all the other networks that take you beyond the liver into associations with other organs and things. It was great orthopedically, for instance, if somebody came in like an elite runner, and, you know, they say, hey, my knee peters out at five miles. Well, what I would do is have them run five miles, map out a little circuit. So their five miles would end right at my clinic doorstep. And then I, you know, lay them down and find out, you know, when their neurology was fatigued to that level where they would normally experience the symptoms uh, and find out exactly, you know, because now you have an awareness in the nervous system of, uh, you know, uh, of why things are failing at that level. And then we would do very, you know, surgical uh, muscle testing and practical application in order to find out why at that particular point, you know, the knee failed. And it would bring us into things that would also, again, improve the health of the individual entirely. So the real good stuff uh, will come next because, um, you know, that we'll talk about, it gets into the topic of more the biocomputer and why we had to understand 
how do we communicate with this body, uh, you know, on that level so that we can get information directly from the body rather than theorizing and doing all the things with secondary electronics that are common to conventional medicine. So when you say with the clinical kinesiology that you're going in and being much more specific, um, what does that entail? Like, cause for instance, I, I'm a long distance runner somewhat. I, I like to run a uh, trail run every day, you know, just do my average three and a half, four, four miles runs, but I like to do a 10 miler, 15 miler here and there with elevation. And I occasionally will get in my, um, on the outside of my knee, uh, right knee, I, I forgot what that's called, the T band or, or whatever it gets, it turns into a throbbing mess sometimes to the point where I got to ice it and I'm kind of out for a couple days. Let's say I come in and I, I've done that run. What would actually, you know, be the process of how do you go in and see how those networks are connected? Uh, is there what kind of instrumentation or is this just something you literally do with your hands? Um, how does that work? Um, it actually uh, ended up allowing us to develop some instrumentation, which will remind me to talk about in a little bit. But it's uh, really a manual technique with a deep understanding of the human biocomputer. What was different about those of us, and, and not all of us, made the jump to clinical kinesiology because mm -hmm. um, applied kinesiology, again, very advanced and very comprehensive and not at all trying to contrast in a negative light. But the jump to clinical kinesiology allowed a little bit of a different kind of doctor personality that was ready to explore a lot of other realms that you and I talk about on this show all the time, Michael. And um, right coincident at that time was the new computer industry. Now this was uh, even well before the first Apple Cube, but we were uh, keeping a close eye on these early computer guys and what we understood, and this is where I, I think maybe you can add a little bit of commentary because you know more about computer technology than I do. Uh, but we understood that those um, uh, early scientists patterned their technology after the human nervous system. And in other, mm -hmm. other words, it's a binary system and mm -hmm. everything either goes on or off. And of course, a computer is contrived so that it can make a lot of you know, uh, on or off decisions a million times a second or, you know, whatever it is. And, uh, you know, come to a lot of conclusions and do a lot of spectacular things. Well, the human body is infinitely more clever than that. And, um, so what we found is, uh, if we started investigating into other areas of information that came before us, Michelangelo or Leonardo da Vinci, I meant to say, um, you know, going back to Ayurvedic, um, you know, and, and we'll kind of give you some examples of how we borrowed from those cultures and then applied it to clinical kinesiology and found out that, wow, we're actually discovering the keyboard of the body. We know the body's a computer. Now, how the heck do we develop a keyboard so we can ask more specific questions, but more important, make sure those questions actually have a neurological basis so that we're not just making stuff up. So, yeah. um, you know, okay. that's where it got okay. really exciting. Mm -hmm. um, okay. And so, and so this kind of, it's interesting when we're talking about this notion of the biocomputer and perfect design, um, that kind of 
goes counter to the idea of Darwinian evolution in my mind, because it seems like this thing kind of came out of the gate like this. It, it just seems to be counterintuitive to think that this evolved into this, this thing, right? Over time that somehow we were less evolved, you know, and I'm not, I don't know how this applies to something like, uh, like a chimpanzee and orangutan, you know, what they say that we supposedly came from, but, um, it just seems to fly in the face of that logic, be, uh, with what we know, which is something like applied kinesiology and how this, this really amazing design with our consciousness is really where we're, what you're talking about when we say the stuff we talk about. And I've, I, and I've experienced this on long runs where I'm starting to get that banging pain and um, I will do things like in some people just say, oh, it's mind over matter. Or you just willed yourself. It was a miracle. No, I actually applied um, my own uh, consciousness, my own um, tinkering inside my anatomy, my physiology to fix that while I'm running and the pain went away, whether I altered my gait, but also it's something going on in my mind, right? That's doing that, that's applying that. And I think um, these are the kind of things that we need. These are the kind of notions we really need to be exploring more and getting off the uh, the wheel of Darwinian, um, Newtonian, uh, limited, you know, uh, materialistic uh, notions. And I will say that when I hear bio uh, computer, I immediately my alarms go up. I think, uh oh, we're going to reductionism here. But this is not the case. No, and remember, a biocomputer or any kind of computer is actually kind of dumb because all it can do is what it's programmed to do. So with our own biocomputer, we're not calling ourselves dumb. We're calling ourselves maybe a little ignorant in the fact that we don't understand that we can do the programming of our own biocomputer ourselves. If you want to, uh, you know, do a special function on your computer and, you know, it requires some software, you just download it. And, you know, we have lost that understanding that we can download anything we want. In fact, the downloads well, are already there and we just aren't accessing them. And I would go farther to say, like, you know, we're both on Macs. Macs is based on Unix which was an original language. And back in the day, like the original computer nerds, they didn't have a, a, a user interface uh, like we have now. It was literally a, bl a, a blinking cursor. And then you would type the code uh, to interact with the machine. And it was literally, that's what it is. It's just that we've now been, um, we've, you know, go through modern innovation, have these user interfaces that allow us to not have to know the code. And that is a great analogy for where we are with our bodies today, right? We now have these like really just basic, as you say, you know, ignorant user interfaces that we use and we, we've forgotten how to code. Exactly. We're supposed to code our own experience and everything that's happening nowadays is we are decoding ourselves. We are decoding the universe. Uh, one of my favorite YouTube channels is FPV Angel because they're decoding the entire Earth matrix. And uh, and I mean, they're just doing phenomenal work. It gets into Walter Russell and everything else. OK, let's go back to muscle testing. When we were. Uh, uh, in applied kinesiology, the things that we carried forth in the clinical kinesiology, and I give all credit to um, 
uh, Alan Beardall because he led the way and I was his pupil and, uh, you know, can, uh, um, continued it long after, you know, he had an early, uh, journey, you know, he's in a crash in great Britain. And, and, you know, isn't it interesting, you know, Alan Beardall was one of those true geniuses on the planet that come along only occasionally and people all over the world, uh, you know, wanted to have seminars with him and learn what he was up to. Uh, but then in his own backyard, which happened to be up here in Lake Oswego, Oregon, and I used to go spend time with him up there, um, they called him Dr. Weirdall. Um, <laughs> just because he was understanding these things way ahead of the herds. Okay, so in applied kinesiology, <laughs> we understood the binary nature of the nervous system because... Uh, and, and we're very orthopedic inclined again. And so let's just say your, your normal walking gait, you take a step forward while certain extensor muscles then are activated, uh, you know, the ones that bring you forward. And then the extensor muscles, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, don't ambulate you in that direction, they need to be turned off. So we were able to um, demonstrate that when you activate flexor muscles, extensor muscles automatically turned off. So we'd do that, test the extensors, and there's just no juice there. And we said, well, that kind of makes sense. Otherwise, you'd be fighting yourself every time you try to take a step forward. But that's the way the body works all the time, not just with ambulation, but with everything. It's on, off, on, off. And now we go back to the story of we're looking at what these computer scientists are doing, you know, creating these little gadgets, and we understand what they're doing. But, you know, the light bulb came on. It's like, wow, we've got the real deal here. All we have to do is discover the keyboard. Uh, the first thing uh, that that led us to is looking at the work of Leonardo da Vinci. Now, Leonardo da Vinci did his famous canon of man, you know, the drawing. I just knocked over some, um, you know, where you have the arms and legs in different positions, different uh, internal, external rotation. So we were able first to find out that, you know, the arm in this position versus here versus here actually created an electronic e effect. And the reason why we looked at that is we kind of had a hunch that he knew something. And now with different kinds of instrumentation, we could actually get different electronic readouts that were across the board common to everybody that we laid down and put the arm in this position versus that position versus another position. Then we're able to understand that each of those positions not only created a different level of electronics, but it would also access and be correlated with a different level of, uh, you know, the reality of what we call our biological selves. Uh, for instance, uh, one level could be related to our biomechanics, the other our biochemistry, loosely speaking. The other would be more our electronic or electromagnetic level. So now we had a way of, okay, uh, relative to an opening, maybe we're testing a muscle, we also learned how to apply common electrician tricks, you know, as far as getting, um, you know, readings on the body by way of just touching areas, activating areas, and then having them light up. And just like an idiot probe with an electrician going through a circuit box and you see the light come on, um, we understood that, you know, every body surface has different polarities. So if we knew how to pair up the polarities, like take a certain surface with a certain polarity, touch another area, maybe after you activated the muscles, so now the nervous system has a real 
you know, electronic awareness, just like bringing something up on a computer screen. Then we create a two point. Now we could, you know, go on with these other more refined techniques we'll talk about to, you know, um, extrapolate what level of reality we're talking about and just two point down to the end of the trail until we got an end treatment point which uh, might require acupuncture, it might require osteopathic cranial work, it might require a biochemical intervention, a homeopathic intervention, anything you could possibly think about. And these days, of course, we're actually manipulating the waveforms way upstream. Uh, back in those days, you know, I, you know, that wasn't, uh, that level of awareness wasn't there. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that Leonardo, you know, was really uh, a major step in understanding exactly what he was talking about. And if you read a lot of his work, the guy was tapped in. He was in the old, you know, in the secret societies, uh, you know, not the evil ones, but the ones that were holding knowledge for mankind for eons. Yeah. And going back to the Pythag Pythagoreans yeah. and then that was going back to the Hermetics. And I, I, I do have a question, though, Bear, when you say electronic. Sure. Because and we've had other previous guests ask this. What do you and you know, it's interesting because this notion of electronic, I mean, we hear it in even mystical circles, like with the ascended masters talking about that and stuff. And is this like you kind of said electromagnetic, but is that is it that reductionist, or are we talking about something that's more kind of uh, I don't know, multi dimensional? when we, when we say electronic, multi-dimensional, multi-dimensional. And, you know, uh, again, my first teacher, George Goodhart, uh, he had a common saying, which stuck with me my entire life, which is anything can cause anything. There's no such thing as one part not being connected to everything else. If you look at the trillions of cells in the body, they are all in a unified informational field. So they will be um, communicating on every single level and aware at the same moment of what every cell in the body is aware of. And then that gets into more intricate levels of uh, intracellular and, and all the other creatures that inhabit the system. So it's, it's, uh, it's a, an intelligent system that we still don't even begin to appreciate. Um, you know, um, so to answer your question, we're using an archaic language coming from our academic training. Uh, mm -hmm. And we can quibble all day long, like one of our guests, I think I know who you're talking about, said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, you know, are you talking about magnetic, electric versus, yeah, I, I understand, you know, I have the same, uh, you know, background of, you know, learning those terminologies. But when you get into these realms, we're talking about, um, you know, levels of reality, uh, subplanes within each of those levels and, and, uh, you know, just, a, a, another whole basis of pure consciousness that if you understand it, you can now measure any of those areas in order to, um, change literally the consciousness on the ground of an individual, if they're ready you know, that maybe is creating their problems or not just problems, but maybe if they want to elevate their game to another level of awareness and, um, you know, so go ahead. So I, I didn't realize that actually applied kinesiology, uh, kinesiology itself was this deep for some reason. I always thought it was just mostly about, you know, neurological connections, 
uh, and the, mm-hmm. you know, the electrical connections of the muscles. But you're saying that these, um, I'm sorry, the gentleman who was the pioneer, he was tapped in and knew this stuff. Oh, absolutely. And, um, and then Alan Beardall again, took it to another level. So, uh, mm-hmm. just another quick comment about the, uh, you know, Leonardo da Vinci's work. If you look at, uh, his drawings, uh, you know, a little bit more carefully, you'll see that, you know, the, the foot might be rotated in certain degrees and everything. Well, we found that when we put people into these positions, it would create again, another level of, uh, I'll again, use the term loosely electronics that would access another part of that nervous system. And then we were able to extrapolate that to uh, things that acupuncturists knew thousands of years ago. Uh, you know, we have like coupled meridians and so forth. So now we could maybe put somebody in the arm position that would uh, pertain more to biochemistry, but then we could fool around with the body positions of, uh, you know, the lower extremities. And uh, we found out, by the way, uh, right at the hip here, when you abduct, adduct the legs, it activates uh, a little acupuncture point, which is actually a neurological interface called gallbladder 30. Through this work, we were able to um, understand uh, the significance of certain acupuncture areas as uh, real important neurological interfaces. Gallbladder 30 was one of them. So if we were, for instance, working with somebody and then we manipulated the legs at the same time, we could actually... um, get the neurology set on that level of awareness or reality, whatever, you know, level of the body that we were investigating. It's no different than if you know how to open up a word document on your screen. Now, if you don't know how to do that, you might know the word documents there. You might be able to see it closed on your desktop. You might also know that there's something in it that uh you know you want to change but if you don't know how to retrieve it through the keyboard open it up you can't make the changes so that led to another level of understanding that if you want to make changes you want to have a way to make um you know the body vulnerable to those changes you have to open up the neurological awareness so not just like a word document now you can do whatever you want and then you can save it and get out of it. So if we were manipulating gallbladder 30 with uh, leg movements, uh, you know, now we've got that open. Now we can go into, you know, the process of finding an end treatment point. And maybe the end treatment point is adjusting C1. Uh, Now a chiropractor would say, oh, there's a subluxation you had, rotation, whatever. And uh, well, kind of, sort of, but what those, what we understand the vertebral column and every other part of the body is they're all circuit breakers. And so when we made an adjustment, we understood that we were resetting that whole circuitry that was involved in whatever issue we were getting at in the first place. And furthermore, if we got a little more fancy with the body movements of the lower extremities, not just abduction, adduction, but started throwing in rotations, then we could access uh, very precisely certain coupled meridians and, uh, you know, different, more precise parts of not only the neurology, but the acupuncture system and get more specific information. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, it was really unlimited as far as what you can do. So that mm-hmm. leads me to the next level of the keyboard we, uh, discovered, but any questions or comments so far? Well, so that Leonardo, um, you know, question about, uh, 
he seems to tie a lot of uh, sacred geometry and geometry into those drawings, right? And into that design. And that seems to relate in a way too, right? So, and that relates to biogeometry and everything as well, which, which you were kind of hinting at earlier. So it, it, uh, it is all a unified uh, science uh, and how it all connects, it seems. Yeah. And, and it makes total sense to me that this is where we're at now that, you know, um, I, I don't really care to do that much work with anybody, uh, you know, the way I used to, even though it was very effective because now we almost don't even need the body. We can work directly with the waveforms in the geometry way upstream. Sometimes there's, you know, a time and place for bringing up the old stuff. I remember working with Alan one time and we we're doing this crazy advanced stuff compared to, you know, the old days in uh, applied kinesiology. And, uh, you know, one of the, the guys that was with us in the room, um, you know, because Alan was doing an old applied kinesiology technique. He said, why are you doing that? We're like way beyond that. And he just looked at this. Well, you never forget the old stuff. So there's a time and place for everything. And, uh, you know, that's the way I work these days. But more often than not, because we've advanced our awareness and our techniques, uh, you know, we don't have to do nearly as much as the old stuff. So, um, you know, a funny thing happened last night before bed. I and, you know, I'm constantly impressed with our telegram group is just a crazy uh, uh, collective of talent and personalities in there. And I, I think we've got the best telegram on the whole planet. And uh, and one thing caught my eye, you know, I, I'm pretty busy, so I only have time for a cameo every once in a while in there. And, uh, you know, and I know it was uh, more than serendipitous that I just turned on. The first thing that caught my eyes, they're talking about mudras. Now, this gets into, you know, all these, you know, crazy hand positions and stuff they used to do, you know, back in the Ayurvedic days and so forth. And, you know, when they had very advanced meditation techniques, now you go take a yoga, yoga class and they might have you hold your position, hand positions. And but, you know, that all of what we experience today is a very watered down version of what was a very elaborate, comprehensive biocomputer language. And clinical kinesiology, the next step is we brought that back into a contemporary and practical understanding. And <clears throat> let me show you something else here. I, um, I responded to the, the person on our telegram. I said, wow, uh, great, <laughs> great telepathizing because mm -hmm. I'm going to be talking about that tomorrow. And, uh, you know, fantastic. The, the, the synchronicity and the telegram group is quite amazing. I feel like I that know. happens once a day anyways. Yeah. So, um, in our very earliest works, now this is an ancient book and we, uh, developed this way beyond this, but we developed the finger codes formulas in actual, how to place the hands in, I don't know, uh, couple hundred positions, very, mm. you know, very specific. Some of them, you know, you really have to develop some dexterity to pull them off. Uh, you know, for instance, we're talking about uh, bioterrain medicine all the time. Well, you know, there, there's one particular hand position that allows us to access a part of the neurology that uh, is going to give us information about the microbial portion of the bioterrain. 
and Trippy. it looks just like just like that now yeah, and, and we we i just want to say we apologize to the audience it's hard to see bears on a satellite and we're trying out a new platform uh here and for some reason he's coming across uh so if you you can't see it we apologize he's uh, uh not so clear we are going to fix that but i will say bear we can probably post uh these mudras these these hand formations somewhere so people can reference these after mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So uh, what I was, uh, and this might be useless, you tell me, but, you know, in one of our early manuals, we started um, just uh, giving out the initial understanding of the, you know, more the, how to designate the different joints of the finger so that we could put out numerical um, formulas and people trained in this would then be able to, uh, you know, know how to put the hand position or what they used to call the hand mudra, but what we actually called biocomputer hand modes. And, um, you know, anyway, it gets, uh, yeah, you know, unfortunately, um, unfortunately it's hard okay. to see, but, but I would love okay. to either scan those and put those up. Cause I know people would really enjoy those resources or if there is an online place to get those. Uh, but, um, yes, continue because this is trippy stuff. Like how, how does this connect? How does the, like what we're doing with our hands somehow make that work? Like it's, 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 and, well, and this is an ancient, ancient practice. Cause this yeah. goes way back. Yeah. Well, when we started playing with this and actually experiencing what these, uh, mudras would do, it made perfect sense to us as neurologically trained doctors, because what part of the body has more upper neuron connections than any other part? The hands. Hmm. So when you put the hands in these precise formulas and positions, you are activating the cerebral cortex in very precise ways. Now that might seem far-fetched to somebody, but you know, go back to your computer keyboard. I'm staring at mine right here. And mm -hmm. it's a very simplistic contraption made out of plastic. And we just know how to send messages into the, into the hard drive in order to make stuff pop on the screen. Mm -hmm. And remember, we are the original computer. This thing is a crude facsimile of what we already are. In fact, what technology is really supposed to be teaching us is not dependency on the technology, but it's supposed to be teaching us about ourselves. That's the whole purpose of bringing technology out to the forefront in the first place. Otherwise we're just getting stupider. <laughs> so, and unfortunately I think that's what's happening a little bit today. So, um, these biocomputer techniques, uh, brought us in a very demonstrable way to face to face with ourselves, but more importantly, as doctor types, being able to take a body on a treatment table and to communicate about anything we want to do. And, you know, I made a comment before where, you know, you need to make uh, something. I will take a, a, an easy example, like a, a chiropractic adjustment. And, and uh, you know, then the doctor says, well, come on back next week. We might need to adjust that again. And meanwhile, you know, you're going back to your chiropractor once a week. Well, if you go through these trainings 
and treat the body sequentially the way we were able to do. Uh, if, if an end treatment point um, required uh, a spinal adjustment or an osteopathic cranial adjustment, it would reset just like somebody in the trades knows, well, you don't want to do this before that because it'll just, you know, if you do it in the wrong order, it's not going to work and you'll just undo what you, you know, did before it. Same thing in this. So you don't have to go back to your chiropractor forever for your weekly adjustment. Uh, the adjustment mm -hmm. did the reset if you did it right, if you did it in proper sequence, and then you wouldn't have to do it again. Then you could move on to the next thing. Nobody has a deficiency of adjustments. Nobody has a deficiency of acupuncture needling techniques. Uh, you know, what we're supposed to be is constantly moving the ball downfield. And uh, that's, in fact, what we learned how to do. So hand mudras. Mm -hmm. um, perform the same function as what Leonardo da Vinci found, which was actually what we would call a body mudra. But then again, we were able to discern, uh, you know, that it actually manipulated the electronics and through neurology, we had a real communication. And also when we did any end treatment, the body was exposed neurologically so that now it had a much deeper lasting impact rather than a temporary effect. No different than wow. if you know how to open up a Word document, you make the change, you save it, it's going to stay, it's going to be there next time you open it up. Now, with the mudra too, which I've done, I do in like uh, some of my yoga practice, uh, especially in like kundalini yoga, sometimes you're moving the hands too. And someone mentioned this in the comments, which... Um, Bear, I know you've seen this series because we talked about it. I think we, we, you and I just watched ser uh, the first season, and then we we were like, "Oh, that the ending was so bad." I gave up on it. But do you remember that show, The OA, that was on Netflix, and it was about those people who were like trapped in that lab, and they were doing those movements. Remember, and oh. they were like, they're interfacing with like different dimensions and stuff. Um, there's something to be said that someone said, well, so that was more of a documentary than a fiction. But, and what's funny is we had that exact conversation. If you remember when that series came out and of course it ended his usual social yeah. justice, like typical Hollywood garbage. Um, but there were some very interesting aspects to the, um, to some of the, the screenplay there because they were doing those weird, like whoo, whoo, movements and stuff uh, together. And I was like, Whoa, um, so that is some ancient technology and I guess what some would even call magic, right? The, the, the archetype of the wizard who's doing the hand movements to interface and create, um, specific phenomenon in this reality. Um, there's something to be said there with how the biocomputer can use, work with the electronics to literally, um, uh, you know, engage with this reality. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, every day I use my Tai Chi ball, you know, that you've seen when you're over here and, uh, you know, you're doing kind of, uh, you know, internal work and, um, the movements, uh, you know, along with your internal visualization, you are using those movements to create an amplification of those same energy centers that exist inside of you. And, you not only, um, you know, build up those energy reserves to the point where now you can use that energy to do things on the outside that you wouldn't normally be able to do with just a muscular effort. But at the same time, uh, you know, you can make that energy available now to 
channel through different circuits that, you know, now, you know, that's where you get into a point where you don't need doctors and all this kind of stuff in the first place. So, uh, you know, it's all about creating our, um, uh, you know, our imaginative faculties, which are the only real thing there is because that's the only possible thing that can manifest into the matrix in the first place. But like the old martial artists knew, they understood how to create these movements in order to build up our energy bodies. And then, you know, with some of our uh, movements, especially when you get into Bagua and so forth, you're actually uh, reenacting the Merkaba where is uh, just like what Walter Russell talked about, where you have the dual vortexes that are simultaneously interchanging and radiating information to create the next frame of our reality, which we think is real. Um, you know, now, you know, you get more in touch with the fact that, uh, you know, our entire body is nothing more than this, uh, these two uh, interchanging vortexes. And when we go back to the understanding that we're the ones that are putting that in motion, and that is compressing informational fields based on our imagination, our belief systems, our emotional content, you know, now we realize why well, better be a little bit more responsible about the crap that comes out of my mouth and, and all the thoughts I'm having, and especially the emotions that really bring things to life. And then you couple that with a practice, it gets you in a very meditative state so that you, you know, learn how to still the mind and, and you know, stop the garbage, you know, and back to computers, um, the, the, the one axiom of computer technology that's the most true is garbage in, garbage out. And here we are as a species, an entire planet. We've got nothing but garbage coming in. And then we look out here and we wonder why there's chaos and why, you know, we have the problems we have. Well, duh. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, um, these techniques, you know, that we applied to medicine that would allow us hands on to treat people, follow the breadcrumbs of whatever physical predicament they thought they were in, uh, allowed us not only in hindsight to have a complete map of how they got there in the first place, but it also more gratifying than seeing a tumor go away or something was the, the fact that after you're having totally different conversations with these people that they would never have even, you know, it wouldn't have been capable of, you know, the first day that you saw them. So, you really saw firsthand that, you know, the name of the game is you're really changing the consciousness. And again, it never, mm -hmm. ever stops. And, you know, that's why we just keep moving on with our technologies and don't just, you know, keep doing the stuff we were doing 40 years ago, even though that's what got us, you know, would help get us here in the first place. Yeah. And you brought up one of my favorite topics, which is a whole other podcast we should have. And I think we might even be able to get an amazing guest that you would be very excited to have on here. And we're talking about the Merkaba. Uh, and oh. uh, well, one guest that we're going to have on, I want to have Kumara on who was in the summit, who has this amazing uh, company, the Omni card, which I, we're going to have a whole uh, talk about bear. I'm going to want to schedule a, a talk with him about this because he, he uses biogeometry right in it and everything. But anyways, he has um, interviewed a few times um, Mikhil Zadek. Am I always saying his name right? Um, 
and who talks a lot about the Merkaba, um, uh, you know, science behind it and the the whole kind of metaphysics related to that. And that is like, to me, one of the greatest manifestations of the biocomputer. And literally then we're time traveling and we're like exploring the cosmos with our own ability to ignite and to activate our Merkaba or Merkaba, um, which goes all the way back to Egyptian times. And it, this ties into all the sacred geometry, the biogeometry, everything. Um, and that is the real technology where we should be going in terms of exploring space, not the reductionist materialistic model of, you know, Tesla or, you know, of not, not Nikola's Tesla, but, you know, um, the SpaceX and, 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 you know, NASA, which we all know is uh, a psyop and all of that to keep us away from the real technology, right, which is within us. Um, so anyways, the, the Merkaba, uh, is, uh, fascinating, fascinating stuff. Yeah. Uh, I, I haven't, uh, kept in touch with him. Uh, you know, I read his books long ago, uh, the flower of life parts one and two. I still have them on my bookshelf out there. Um, nice. yeah, he did great work. So he's still at large. Uh, yeah, he kind uh, of, um, kind of disappeared for a while right but um so our friend kamara is interviewing him again is in touch with him and uh i when we have our meeting i will bring that up because i would love to uh do an alpha cast with him and go deep into the um all the functionality of what he knows because according to him right he's had direct connection with toth or thoth or you know that uh and and right and had that download of how all that technology is supposed to work and this gets esoteric and then immediately we'll have comments today bear that we're this is satanic i we had a recent comment uh and this is this is a shout out to marty Leeds, who was in the summit we had him on a, as a late ad and i love that man and how he's so brilliant in in explaining how the esoteric is just hidden knowledge it doesn't mean it's satanic and when we say as above so below that's not satanic you're you're getting lost in the dualism and the polarity there it's how you use it this is just universal you know functionality of this reality as above so below is is one of the core you know tenets of how this reality works it doesn't mean because we say as above so below we're satanic and also i think there's it's important as steiner says to make the differentiation between luciferian and satanic but anyways kind of getting off on a tangent here but um i think these are all things that just drive me crazy it's like we're not allowed to talk about this because we get put in this there's this fundamentalism somehow that's been injected into the truth uh movement you know uh reality where if we talk about these esoteric ideas um then somehow that's satanic <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, at the bottom of all the real Satanism is religion. Religion, <laughs> you know, literally means to re-enlist people. That's the Latin derivative. Loosely, it means re-enlist. So when the early Christians were out there running around naked in the desert and saying, we don't need government, F your taxes and everything else, they needed to create a religion to re-enlist the people into the Borg, you know, because they were losing control. So now you take the real teachings of Jesus, distort them, and, you know, 
get people into these false indoctrinations. And then in the meantime, you occult all of the real things that all of the great prophets, including Jesus, were actually telling us. And, and then uh, on top of it, you know, you say, by the way, if you ever hear any of this other stuff, uh, not only are we going to persecute you and burn you at the stake, uh, you know, but uh, all the rest of you people, you know, you're going to go to hell if you, uh, you know, listen to this stuff. And of course, that kind of religion they knew from the start would only have a shelf life of so many centuries, which is why uh, leading into the, you know, more the Middle Ages and beyond and the Royal Society, they had to create another religion that we now call science. But in the process, they had to occult um, all of the real science that used to be called alchemy and give us this one side of the equation reductionism. So uh, to this day, we have people that are in the science religious cult. And then you also have people that are in the religious religious cult. And, you know, either way, they got you coming and going. And, um, you and, know, and, it's, and, it, <laughs> yeah. and, and then, you know, you do have the occult, which yes, is just hidden, but you do have the dark occult where they in, in, in specifically take these truths and invert them so they can have their black magic, their black magic power. Of course, that is what they do. They, it, and, but the thing is now, because we've gotten so everything's become so occulted and people are so lost with this ancient wisdom that everything is out in the open uh, is inverted. We literally live in a completely inverted reality where, uh, and this is, I, I know we're going to get to this because it's been brought up in the chat, but the idea of transhumanism is the inversion of the biocomputer. It is the legitimate attack on this true technology by, tr by man's ego trying to subvert and control nature and say, we can create, beyond nature which in its in and of itself seems to me be what luciferianism is right um is the false light um and that is essentially what the transhumanism model for the future is and of course that is counter to natural law and counter to the beauty of the beautiful uh technology we're talking about today which relates to the biogeometry and the sacred geometry and everything you're talking about with real electronics and with uh, the merkaba and all that uh, and so, yes, this is why this discussion is so important. It's so that we can get science back on track to what science is supposed to be, which is just a practice, not a religion, just like mysticism or excuse me, spirituality is a practice, not a religion. Yep. I have a, a quick Merkaba story. Uh, it's kind of fun. And when I was reading Melchizedek's books, I don't know if it was in his second book or another book written by somebody else. I'm trying to remember quick. This just and, and when we say Melchizedek, we're talking about Drumvalo Melchizedek. Sorry. Drumvalo. To, yeah, thank yeah. You. Okay. So um, they were talking about Drumvalo. I think it was a third party book. And they brought up the story of um, what's the, when they uh, went back in time and rematerialized the U-boat from uh, World War II or something. Yeah, you, you the, Philadelphia, the, the Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so there was two brothers, allegedly, twins, that were on that boat. And the gentleman that wrote the book was talking about these 
twins that are now brought forth in time and alive, at least at the time of that book. I probably read it, I don't know, 30 years mm -hmm. ago or something. And this uh, gentleman, this is where it gets really weird. I, my jaw dropped open, you know, when I was reading this. <laughs> He's talking about meeting these twins from the boat from a different time period and that he was introduced to these twins by then head coach of the New York Jets, Pete Carroll. <laughs> what? And I read that and I'm like, what the F? Because <laughs> now Pete and I grew up in the same area. Yeah. You know, we played in opposing schools. He's a football player, so is I. And we were both selected after high school to play in this um, Northwest uh, football all-star game. So we were on the same team. And I got to know him a little better and everything. And um, anyway, uh, a lot of other personal stories. Uh, <laughs> I won't go into them. Yeah. Yeah. Even at a connection, you know. And, yeah. and so anyway, um, now I haven't seen him in years and I'm just waiting. In fact, I'm going to try to get a hold of him maybe someday. But I'm hoping we run into each other through some of our old circle someday. Because the first thing I'm going to ask him is like, is this tr true? And what, <laughs> how the hell are you, you know, somehow connected or meeting these guys from a different time? Anyway, I just saw it was kind and, of a and, fun story. And Pete has been known, hasn't he talked about aliens and stuff? And, and, and I think he's a little there, but I haven't known him for years, so I don't know. And maybe this ties into the idea that often those who are successful in Babylon, which is a term I like to use for the uh, outward, uh, uh, you know, maritime driven kind of reality that people think is real. I like to call it Babylon. A lot of people do. Um, but maybe you find success right now because you are somehow connected to these weird realities. Um, and uh, you play the game that way. I don't know. It's trippy, man. That is that whole Philadelphia experiment stuff is really trippy. Um, I used to love geeking out on that. There was a maybe 2000, 2001, 2002. I went deep into all that stuff. There was that guy, Al Bielek, who I was following all his stories and all it goes into all these like secret, um, you know, laboratory experiments in New York at uh, uh, I'm blanking on uh, Montauk. And uh, they were like oh, yeah. creating elect electronic monsters out of out of you know different dimensions. And then he went to like twenty forty five and came back. And he was supposedly you know part of the Philadelphia experiment. And when that when they more phased out of reality, they went way into the future. And I mean, this stuff's all out there. And I don't know if it's all just a psyop by the Babylonian <laughs> kind of control grid, or if this is this stuff's real. I don't know. We can only. That's why an alpha cast, we kind of stick to what we know, which is like why we talk about health and the body, because you have that background. Why I talk about crypto and blockchain, it's just like what we know, you know, gardening and farming and stuff. But these are fun thought experiments to have and and trippy stuff to go down. And um, yeah, that that is so weird that like that relates to Drumvolo Melchizedek, which is more kind of esoteric spiritual. But then you tie it into like dark military operations and stuff. And it's all connected in the end, you know, it's all woo woo stuff that's somehow connected. And in the end, I think it's all relates to Bigfoot too. <laughs> so, you know, it's, here, uh, we are in, here we are in Bigfoot country and all of our native American friends here that, you know, they take our gardening classes and, you know, when we're teaching for Oregon state there, 
you know, a couple years ago, um, you know, we had a whole bunch in our class and man, they're talking about Bigfoot like, oh, no, no, it's real. Uh, oh, yeah. So we talked about yeah, Bigfoot the, on the show be on before and some of my stories and experiences. And, um, you know, uh, that makes, you know, what I guess that the, what I love pulling out of all this stuff is that we live in a magical place. This realm is way beyond what um, modern modernity has defined it as. And it's something that we should appreciate every breath that we have on this planet to go out and experience the magic because it really is a magical realm. And, uh, you know, what I think oh, an amazing grounding thing that we do here is we relate that to health and wellness because you've seen what m modern uh, medics would call miracles aren't miracles. It's part of the, the realm. It's part of the reality that we're in. Deb will probably kill me for saying this on air, but just the other day we we're having a discussion and she was remembering a fairly recent encounter with a bear where she went out and there was a bear right there and they had, you know, direct eye contact. And to this day, she says, no bear, that was not a bear. <laughs> that was, <laughs> that was something else. And she said that, that, you know, the, anyway, you, you get where I'm going with that. So there's a lot of things that are going on, you know, that you miss out on when you're living in metropolitan areas, because we're communicating in a whole different way with, um, you know, the prevalent energy patterns, all the, you know, and there are very real um, beings that, um, you know, are, are everywhere all the time, but in natural habitats, when you're away from the electronics, you know, we don't have any power lines and that kind of stuff for a long ways. Um, you know, the veils are a lot more thin. Now, when you get into the work of Rudolf Steiner, in fact, I was just reading a book, um, the other night and it was uh, an illustration that Rudolph did and it was um, looking at different, you know, what he would loosely call gnomes and spirits and, and things like that. And um, <clears throat> they're alive and well, you know, if we think that uh, bear froze on us, uh, let me try something. Um, yeah, so you're back. Um, so you were talking about okay. Steiner and, uh, and these entities, um, and yeah, the forest fairies are some of my favorite anyways, go ahead. Yeah. And, and he relates those to different, again, loosely calling electronic levels, different dimensions. Mm -hmm. And, um, we can qualitatively measure very accurately all those things that he talked about in all of his teachings but more important, relate it to science, engineering, lab work, uh, you know, working with somebody's body. And, um, you know, so this stuff is real, including these other intelligent life forms that are around us all the time. Uh, of yeah. course, they will not be as prevalent in uh, if you're not in a natural habitat. I, uh, yeah, I have friends that are more tapped in that have seen things that they can't explain. I had a friend here that was living here for a bit. He's left, but he told me the story of how he's had a fairy appear to him and, uh, manifest and, uh, have a discussion with, uh, and I've heard other things about that. The fairy folk, right? We have legends and the Celtic legends about the fairies. And, um, and then of course things like sprites and gnomes and, uh, you know, there's, there's this kind of, um, synchronistic, 
storylines that run through all the different cultures about it. And of course, modernity once again wants to re reduce this to just myth and uh, the human imagination playing out through story. But um, it, there's definitely seems to be even caught on video. And unfortunately, people say, you know, it's hard to know if it's an artifact or something. But I've seen some trippy videos on online of little kind of lights and orbs and things flying around and you just never know any day in, anymore because of things we can do with video now with effects and there's people that unfortunately go out and make those you know all the time but um i i believe in all that stuff i always have since i was a little kid and um i just hear you hear the stories from people that are more tapped in of having these experiences and i think it's um i think it's wonderful to to be able to appreciate that and and be open to that, I think it makes the world more magical and uh, just a more um, lovely place to be in. When you go over to the retreat, uh, which you know parts that aren't open to the public, over another mountain range to Shasta, and as you know, you know we Deb and I have been involved with that group for a long time. And uh, there's a prominent European photographer who would take a lot of pictures of the gardens within the, you know, the Saint Germain retreat. And, um, you know, very often you'd see these little fairies, whatever you want to call them, actually show up on film because the veils there, there's been such a concentration of work there for so long that the veils are thin. So he would actually capture that on film. So, you know, a lot of this isn't just us, you know, talking fanciful. It's, it's firsthand. Well, it's, firsthand it's, experience. it's funny you mentioned that because that this individual I'm talking about who had this fairy appear was, that's where it was. Oh, uh, it was okay. there by Mount Shasta. And also they had a weird experience where their phone appeared all of a sudden they were driving up to the mountain and all of a sudden they, the phone, uh, the driver's phone disappeared and they looked and the phone was on the other side of the window outside of the car uh, on the windshield. It like phased through the windshield. I'll have to have Kevin tell that story sometime to you. But um, so anyways, yeah, uh, you go up to places that are known to be vortexes or where the, the veil is thinner and, and you do have amazing phenomena happen. Yep. And uh, somehow this all has to do with muscle testing. I don't know how, but... Uh... <laughs> Yeah. So the biocomputer, um, I mean, so you were, we were, you were touching on Leonardo da Vinci and who I feel was ascended master tapped in someone who, you know, was definitely one of those very special characters who was probably, you know, like a St. Germain type person. I think there is even some idea that maybe St. Germain was Leonardo da Vinci and also was Plato and, um, some of these other important characters that, introduce um new ideas to humanity um but what uh, we you were touching on some other classical um kind of frameworks for kinesiology or the biocomputer still you were starting with leonardo but were there other well another uh, interesting thing we found out is um and and alan beardall started this and then it was continued later on and you know groups i was involved with every single muscle division in the body not just the major meridian muscle uh groups, but each of the intricate um, muscle divisions are recognized neurologically by a specific frequency. And we were able to determine that. So, you know, you could think of it as a carrier wave and that's how mm -hmm. the body, the nervous system recognized 
a particular part of itself, including a muscle division, by this specific of the muscle carrier wave associated with that particular division only. In fact, uh, one of our members created a machine that, you know, we would use electrodes, and I use this in my clinic a lot, uh, where you could maybe show that uh, there's a muscle that was just online not working, you know, because mm -hmm. the, you know, it's turned off for whatever the reasons we described. And then when with the electrodes on and you dialed in that frequency and you retest the muscle, it came back online. Uh, mm -hmm. One of the more shocking things that I experienced early on with that machine is I uh, treated a number of people with MS and this one gentleman especially had been in a wheelchair for a long time and I used to have to go out and get him and carry him in and you know put him down on the table and um, you know he had no uh, function in his lower extremities for instance if I were to say you know using rectus femoris or whatever uh, you know no way it just you know the is interrupted the myelin sheaths it deteriorates so we couldn't get the signals from here to there mm -hmm. so now putting in a particular frequency for rectus femoris straight head which is the you know the the one associated with this story is uh, i held it up and i said hold and he said but we had the frequency dialed in and um i let go of his leg and it was just he was holding it up in the air and totally wow. shocked him. He said, how am I able to do that? It's like, well, we were using an external uh, medium to make the connection for him neurologically with the frequency for that muscle to make the connection. Now you turn, you know, the machine off and the leg would just boom, you know, drop like a rock. So wouldn't some of this knowledge maybe be useful for conventional medicine, you know, rather than looking for the, you know, whatever to keep you safe for the latest invisible terrorist. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, um, conventional medicine is obsessed with just the biochemistry aspect and they, you know, and there's a reason why because of the Rockefeller, science and medicine that you know for profit and for eugenics and all that but question on that um so the machine doing that now is there a way that somehow the biology can remanufacture those sheaths right in the neurons that are that transference of we know of the electrical current of information is there a way to regrow that or for the body to fix that so that Absolutely. the body can heal yeah Absolutely. And I saw that in many extreme circumstances, you know, early on before I knew near uh, what I would learn later on uh, my very first practice out of the gates, uh, you know, before I moved to Hawaii, this woman came, uh, was brought up, just heard about us through the grapevine. So I had a little practice up in Marin County at that point that had MS and she could barely walk. She lost her sight. She was a teacher. This is just one of many, many examples, but just as an example, and uh, we could do a much better job on her to this day. But after three months of treatment, um, you know, she was uh, full ambulation, had her sight back, was back at her job, riding her bicycle to work. And, you know, she's just going downhill fast. So that was many uh, examples that I saw firsthand of just when you know how to communicate with the body 
and intercede on what the body tells you what to do and, and prioritize what that body needed that was unique to maybe somebody else with the same exact symptoms and then sequentially, you know, go through things properly, uh, then the body would start regenerating itself, including nerves. And the first thing you learn in conventional medicine is, well, nerves don't regenerate. Well, that's stupid. I mean, that's just ridiculous. You know, there's uh, one form of acupuncture that I've uh, integrated in over the years, and, and I love it because it's very neurological based. It goes, it's from about five, six centuries ago, uh, but it was very well known in the old countries as being very effective, but it really capitalized on those points. And then some points that aren't even in conventional medicine uh, that, um, you know, are associated with the different parts of the central nervous system that, you know, uh, you know, allowed us to increase the circulatory system, uh, you know, neurologically lymphatic and, and every, you know, which way blood flow in order to regenerate body parts. I'm just looking at a, looks like an old, uh, person that's communicating oh. with me there. Mar Marika, oh. Marika, uh, no, oh, but, okay. um, yeah. Um, well, thank you, Mariko. I just showed your comment there. Um, it's our pleasure. Um, that's why we're doing what we do. As she said that she just wanted to, us to know that made such an impact on her life and the knowledge I have to this day. Thank you so much, Marika. M-A-R-A-I-K-A. -A -A. Maybe uh, uh, an old person. You know, um, Bear, that's so interesting. Uh, some, someone's Someone said here too, uh, uh, in fact, I'll just show it uh, with our fancy new thing, lion's mane mushroom for healing the sheath there and stuff. And that's interesting since we just um, re-released or just put out our Illumined uh, Shrooms line is back in stock with weird. Um, and I think lion's mane was maybe one of the ones we were waiting on. So um, yes, the um, couldn't agree more with that. At the actually, that person's a plant that I had put in there to uh, push our new aluminum. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but lionine is very well known to, you know, have a regenerative effect on the central nervous system. It's why we include it as one of the six mushrooms in that particular blend with the fulvic mineral delivery system and everything so that we weren't just, you know, putting mushrooms together as actually became a technology. And so I'm glad to have that one back available. We couldn't get lion's mane for a long time. And, you know, just a little note that the, the, our source of mushrooms are um, cultured, uh, test out the highest in all the polysaccharides, the heteropolysaccharides and the glute, uh, you know, uh, all the factors in mushrooms, uh, you mm -hmm. know, that the reason why people take them. So um, uh, we couldn't get that because with the, the prevailing false flag uh, viral thing, everybody's concerned about their immune system. So they couldn't, you know, manufacture yeah. the stuff. Uh, Fast enough, so it's very concentrated. And it's a very important part of that um, of that formula, and it just shows you that when a mycelium has a particular effect, like regeneration of nerves, and it shows you also how we're interconnected with the external environment, with all of the resonance that you know is conducive to healing our bodies. In fact, the more we get tuned in, in a way we're suggesting here there will come a point where you don't even have to consume the mycelium to regenerate your nerves. You'll just mm -hmm. have such a strong resonance with the natural habitat and the things that are growing around you that it will constantly give you those informational fields um, through direct resonance to keep your body in tune and then also have a great interplay 
uh, with us in the reverse direction to them as we are supposed to be stewards yes. on this. Planet. And so now you have true symbiosis where, uh, you know, the bodies of them and ourselves are flourishing and having a great time together. Oh, that's amazing. And why it's so important to embrace nature and get away from the cities for now and get into nature because that's why we're here. Um, and I, David Avocado Wolf mentioned that. Um, and we have some questions too and comments about relating to um, uh, not only lion's mane, um, but also psilocybin and, and even cannabis, uh, those effects for uh, the myelin sheath. And it is interesting, myelin, mycelium, very similar sounding. Um, but uh, David Avocado Wolf, you know, who is very outspoken about um, his, uh, uh, you know, raising different uh, psychedelic plants and stuff, said that after a time, uh, I, I don't remember if it was, I want, I feel like he was doing stuff with, um, uh, what do you call it? What's the Amazonian um, plant, you know, they use for blanking out right now, you know, it has the DMT in it. Um, uh, oh, yeah. Oh. I, 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 no, you know, just a regular medicinal, but it's from down there. Um, you know, they do the shamanic oh, ayahuasca. I believe he was talking about raising when he was doing ayahuasca. I may be wrong. I think down in Mexico, but he said after it might've been just cannabis, but I'm sorry, David, if I'm putting words in your mouth, but it, it, what I loved about what he was talking about, he's like, after a time, he didn't even have to ingest or, or, or interface physically with the plant. He was getting the same effects overall from just growing it and having a conversation with it and being and interacting it, as you said, with the with the waveforms with the you know intelligence of it through the resonance and that's just um, and you 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 know it as you grow i grow i i sense that as you know every year i continue on in my learning how to farm and plant and grow and garden you get that 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 conversation going with the plant life it's yeah. fascinating you know, here on the farm, you know, we have certain crops that we favor. We keep expanding and diversifying, but the original ones like the Jiao Gulan, you know, that now is in its, uh, you know, like fifth year of growth at this particular property, um, that you not only do they adapt to the habitat, but they adapt to us. And there's just uh, the residence communication gets stronger yearly. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, psilocybin because psilocybin is so important for our neurology, especially the pineal and our, you know, our higher brain centers. And the thing that people don't understand is you don't have to have a psychedelic experience. You can microdose, mm. and, um, mm. you're constantly working on your neurology in certain ways that, you know, is very powerful. And, you know, it's not like you're walking around, tripping around, tripping out or anything. You don't even know you had anything if you're microdosing properly. So mm -hmm. all of these plants have uh, a great effect. And, of course, we've learned that, you know, like back in the 60s, well, if I take a whole bunch, I can, you know, go uh, go to a rock concert and whatever. <laughs> but uh, so they, they have much more important functions and there's a much more yeah. refined use them. And it, it really is all about resonance. Yeah. And, in, and, 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 and intention, of course, like if you have intention to go party with it, yeah, then you can do that with any, like anything. But if you come at it with a more sacred, um, outlook, then you will have a more, uh, sacred connection and experience from it. And as I've 
stated always i think everybody every single human on this planet should at least do one large dose of of psilocybin once in their lives that's all it takes to have that transcendental kind of sh um you know conversation with the planet and yourself and your higher self and all that um i mean unless you're seriously tapped in spiritually and you're you don't need it but i think unfortunately because most people aren't and they're really just kind of raised in a very um uh, you know, outwardly shallow perspective, um, this allows you to kind of hyperdrive into that reality. But of course, um, I'll say the best forms of that transcendentalism for me now is through uh, hyper awareness via breathwork, meditation, stuff like that. I don't think you need that, but it is a great shortcut and nature gives it to us. And um, I did it in college and occasionally will do it. Every now and then, uh, it hasn't called me in a while, but it will call me, and that's when I need it. And it is a medicine. It is a kind of um, uh, a way that nature can really help propel us towards this higher understanding of who we really are. So, um, yeah, and it's cool. I, I've said this before, and I'll, I'll say one last thing. I am seeing the younger generations now more tapped into this in terms of their quote-unquote partying or in terms of their... Um, celebration at, at concerts and stuff versus, you know, the more kind of party drugs like the the cocaines and the ecstasies and stuff. It seems to be that it's definitely right now, like the younger generations are super tapped into psychedelics. Yeah. And, and again, I want to emphasize, I'm talking about micro dosing, which is not recreational, yeah. or even having those kinds of effects. And uh, when you understand that we're it's no different than taking a mineral supplement but it just has a, mm -hmm. a profound effect on your neurology without you shifting your consciousness but over time it will shift your consciousness not in a in a drug-like way but it will uh expand your bandwidth of perception you know one little note for practitioners out there since we're talking about some practitioner tools with applied clinical kinesiology, the biocomputer. And there's so much more we could talk about this. I know we've been talking for a while, so this might be, you know, kind of a good uh, way to wrap things up. Uh, what I've learned as being a longtime practitioner is that um, the reason why I did it was because I needed to learn things. And it was a very intense way of learning things. Now, one of the, uh, the people in the St. Germain work uh, who his pen name was Godfrey Ray King, and he brought forth the, you know, the, the transmissions from St. Germain. And this isn't a religion, by the way. If, if you really get into this work, you realize it's just pure physics. That's, that's all we're talking about. But he was, uh, he, he was also known behind the scenes as a great physician because he was responsible for many so-called healings, even though he would be the first one to say, well, you can't heal another person. Jesus would tell you that, you know, a person has to be ready. But mm -hmm. he had, you know, uh, an amplified energy field that allowed him to be very effective. Is that, uh, you know, at a certain point, he needed to no longer put his hands on bodies and to work more just with the light frequencies in those other realms. And what I've uh, understood just in my own journey is that is absolutely true. And for me to like hang my shingle out again and go back and start doing all the things I used to do physically with people's bodies, even though they could be, you know, very effective, 
it's not my journey anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm, you know, kind of transversed into that next level of just working with pure energy fields and, and actually using it in a technological way through things like radiesthesia, biogeometry, and so forth that allow us to not only develop, you know, the next level where I need to go, but also the people that are ready to go to that level as well, which is much more of humanity than say, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Um, So these tools as they evolve and become, you know, in the average mind out there that's still more in the conventional mindset, well, this stuff's getting more etheric and more or less grounded. It's like, well, no, no, no. Actually, it's just a natural sequelae of the, the journey and going to the next step and not overstaying our welcome with, you know, I mean, I could be in an office somewhere adjusting somebody's neck forever, you know, and it's, and, and you know, maybe some people, you know, need that. But for my own journey, uh, it's not where I need to be. And also for the many people on the planet now that are also ready to go to that next level of awareness, you know, uh, you know, we need practitioners that, uh, you know, are just staying a half a step ahead of the crowd and being able to lead people in those services. And that gets back to some of the things we've talked about in past episodes where the true definition, uh, you know, put out by Hippocrates of physician was, uh, you know, sort of a, uh, a sacred, uh, vocation where you are helping people bridge, uh, the materialistic spiritual, uh, chasm that really doesn't exist in the first place, except in our own thought forms. And uh, through these practices, now we're reunifying ourselves with those creative faculties that we had all along so that we will never again be vulnerable to these predator class folks that are creating Mm -hmm. all this carnage on the planet right now. And also we are needed to go to this level because we're having an entirely different radiation descend upon this planet, uh, which is why all the truth is being exposed, even the really ugly stuff. Uh, But if there is not enough of humanity that is going there, then there is no, you know, we need uh, conduits anchored in on the ground, people that are still in embodiment so that those hierarchies of intelligence can radiate through us. So the real purpose is not just to trip out on, oh, we can go in and test and, you know, fix somebody's liver or something without even touching them. No, it's to just, you know, bring us into the awareness that we are not these bodies and are and learn how to operate from the level of pure consciousness and be looking down on these embodiments, these experiences without thinking that's who we are so that the planet itself can transcend to where it's going because we are the ones that are bringing in the light for the planet to make its journey as well. Yeah, and that was uh, something we kind of wrapped up the reunion summit with on the on day seven was all about being that conduit of spirit and light. And 
Um, it really does come down to that in the end always, right? It comes down to these higher understandings of who we really are and what we're really here for. And it uh, is inspiring because then it uh, really allows for us to um, get out of the muddy waters of what the system's trying to always focus us on and um, really transcend any of the fear or the darker um, lower chakra kind of, um, uh, you know, emotions that people seem to be stuck in all the zombies we say around us but those zombies those people they can as you say as we are a fulcrum for the light we can influence them and we can shoot that light into them and they can you know it's almost like um there is this there is this ride at disneyland because i used to go to disneyland a lot i grew up down there and i actually my first like real job was at disneyland <laughs> but there was this ride that I loved. It was called Captain EO. And believe it or not, it was Michael Jackson did it. I don't know if you've ever seen this, uh, this ride. But it was like a 3D ride there where Michael Jackson was kind of like a Star Wars kind of thing. And he had all these funny characters. But um, it, it had that where he's like, and I really believe Michael Jackson. I know Michael Jackson is a dark wormhole of conspiracy and and people wondering. I've, I had the I had the weird thing in my life where I worked. One of my mentors was uh, Michael Jackson's partner for his record label. And also um, I worked with someone else who had taken over some of his library of unreleased music, which I got to hear uh, and was very close with the family and said that they took Michael out because he um, was going to challenge the entire music industry as a black man. And they couldn't allow for that, so they killed him. And that a lot of the stuff in terms of the the you know the the child stuff, I don't know about that. I still they say it was all BS. Also, I know he was heavily abused as a child, and his father was extremely abusive, and he was put through dark occult uh, stuff as a child, and that really messed him up. Um, so he didn't really ever have a childhood and he didn't have connection to um, what it was to be a child and to have that youthful kind of spirit. And so he was always trying to engage that through Disneyland. He was obsessed with Disneyland. And he we um, I have a lot of weird Michael Jackson connections because like when I was working at a restaurant in Santa Barbara, he rented out the restaurant. It was called Epiphany. And um, we had Michael Jackson come and it was like two days before he had like his own secret service come and inspect the whole place. And they had put special blinds on the windows and he had the menu. And this was like a high end French California cuisine place in the Santa Barbara where we had to do it all Disneyland themed. And it was all like Disney themed food. So it was like duck confit, Mickey mouse, duck confit and um, just so bizarre. But where I'm going with this is that this captain EO, and this is why I think Michael, cause he wrote this, he worked with this and I, and I forgot, if this was literally what's his name who did star Wars and stuff, um, you know, um, what's the producer, uh, oh, I'm uh, blanking on his name, uh, right now, not Spielberg, but the other dude, um, th this, the show, what's that? Lucas, Lucas. Thank you. They, there's like all these dark kind of zombie creatures and he shoots this, he has this rainbow that lights him up and he, cause he comes and brings the light in and he's shooting light. And they, they're like the dark forces that are coming at him. And also they turn into these dancers. They turn into like these black and whatever. I don't even, I don't think great. It was just all sites, different type of people. And they start dancing and they're all like lit up humans. Of, and it had such a great, like inspirational, like good feeling. And I know Disneyland's dark and there's all this occult in it and stuff, but I really felt like this was actually Michael trying to be Michael. And, um, but that was the, the messaging was like, we can, 
if we are grounded in the light, we can shoot that at other people and we can turn them instantly, turn them on. And um, I really am saw that with the summit and I'm seeing a lot of people being that light. And so going outside, not wearing a mask and, and smiling and, and sending that light to people who are in fear right now, I think is one of the most important things we should be doing. Absolutely. And I uh, got to tell you my own Michael Jackson story. And I don't believe for a second any of the stuff that they brought against was an obvious smear, um, you know, just assassination of the guy, including actually killing him. And, you know, that's a whole story. But I was saying this actually ties in with applied kinesiology. <laughs> I was at uh, North Hollywood in uh, a hotel and uh, we were having a um, applied kinesiology seminar. And so I went out at break and this was right when his album, uh, you know, the, I think it was off the wall album or whatever mm -hmm. it was. Oh, so good. And so I go out there and I just go into this little alcove and uh, I'm just sitting there by myself, you know, just getting some quiet time at, at the break. And Michael Jackson walks by <laughs> and he kind of looks at me. He's kind of looking a little hectic and he looks right at me and I looked at him and then he saw that I, you know, wasn't going to bug him. And I go, you know, kind of made a subtle face gesture. So he came and sat on the bench next to me. And I personally what? didn't talk. Now, now this wasn't a, because there's a lot of like Michael Jackson, you mimics and stuff no, no, no. in that area. This was, this was Michael Jackson. And it was in Hollywood. <laughs> so he's sitting next to me, you know, maybe about three, four feet away on the same, you know, kind of upholstered little bench there. And, um, you know, and I just left him alone. And then within a minute, somebody else walks by, does a double take. And then within moments, uh, lost you. Oh, there you are. Uh, within moments, there's a whole crowd. And then, you know, some of his entourage, you know, some big guys came and, you know, ushered him out the door. And, you know, we had one little moment of icon. Anyway, that's my Michael Jackson story. I was wow. approached by him. I was approached by George Lucas's people. You brought him up uh, right before I moved to Hawaii. And uh, the request was for me to be kind of a concierge trainer, doctor type of guy. And, you know, basically I'd have one client and, and I just declined, but then introduced him to somebody else who's with him to this day, by the way, you know, playing that role. But um, they, he was in Marin County at that time where I was living. Mm -hmm. So it was interesting, you know, uh, all, all that time period, there's so much creative stuff happening, so many personalities coming together. And because of what I did, you know, I met a few of those people. You know, Michael was just on one of these chance things. Yeah, I mean, you're you're. We lost you for a second there. Um, okay, my back. So back. Uh, maybe okay. So maybe that's a good uh, wrap up point. But if uh, if we have any in house stuff you wanted to mention about what's going on, um, tell me. Well, um, yeah, no, just uh, we kind of covered it. The Illumin Shrooms is back. We are very proud of that product. So check it out. Um, we uh, are busy on the farm right now. We've got, um, oh yeah, a really important thing. We've launched our GoFundMe. If you go to alphavedic.com forward slash fundraiser, um, we are uh, in the process of pushing that out more and more. We have a big push going to the reunion summit next week. Um, you know, as we say in the trailer for the GoFundMe, we will get there no matter what, but we feel like 
it's more pressing than ever to uh, get this building up and, and get uh, the next phase of the Alpha Vedic um, co-op kind of uh, uh, functional uh, learning space and lab for you. And, and it will also allow us to do commerce in a bigger way so that we can, uh, you know, get into uh, uh, Canada and these other places so that we can evolve, you know, grow and um, be able to reach more and allow people to come on the land and learn and develop all the initiatives we want to do. So that GoFundMe is, and I'll put it in the show notes below, is just you can reach it at alphavedic.com forward slash fundraiser. We do have a target for $100,000. It's like go big because this is, this is important. It's a kind of an earthship kind of design uh and we'll have dr lando's lab it'll allow us to teach it'll allow us to really go to the next level so anything five bucks ten bucks anything that you guys can offer uh would be amazing uh to help us out there and uh that then those who are bugging us uh, and and bugging us lovingly that they want to come and, and visit and help and learn we'll be able to facilitate that we we have plans to put in a couple nice glamping pads that people can stay in because we want people to have a nice experience not just like you know in a tent or something or in a even like a yurt or something i mean yeah i mean a yurt is a possibility right or a nice glamping tent but with a really nice outdoor shower and restroom and and we're building the infrastructure of this place we're adding a pond right for lots of different reasons all tied into the permaculture design of course but we want to we have a vision for the for the land that um will allow alpha vedic to really um go to where where we want it to go which is educational which is uh community having more community on the land and and helping us and working with us and and you guys helping us bringing your spirit and your knowledge and wisdom to us up in our little core in the world so that is uh alphavedic.com forward slash fundraiser uh, anything else, Bear? No, just, you know, uh, this GoFundMe is kind of a new wrinkle in my brain and and really goes against my nature because we've always been very independent. But what I realized recently is that we are, I don't want to say competing, but competing with the beast in trying to outrun certain things, uh, you know, that are financed uh, by billions of dollars and so, you know, we're just uh, one little part in our uh, part of the world uh, and other people elsewhere that, you know, Michael, you and I are working with behind the scenes that are doing similar things uh, to decentralize all the power and so forth. And, uh, you know, we, we need a little bit of help with that. I'm in a phase of my life where I don't, you know, need a career. I don't need to do any of this stuff. All my retirement, I pretty much put into all this stuff anyway. And I'll right now and all as far as products um you know it's not just putting out products on the website uh when we get the lab up we're not just doing plant medicine spiturics and things we're doing mineral spiturics and things that are very very powerful that will require a lot of scrutiny as far as who takes them because they will put you through very remarkable changes in a beneficial way but you have to be ready for it so uh part of the co-op and the closed membership club is to make very special things available, uh, you know, to people that are ready for that kind of uh, product that mm. won't be available to the general public, and also teach other people how to make those things. And uh, you know, I'm involved with a lot of supply chains, uh, you know, where I, I 
have to buy certain things through old trusted European channels of spagyrics and things that are high quality, you know, much beyond uh, which getting health food stores, but they're all shutting down. I had a conversation yesterday where, uh, you know, they don't have half the stuff they used to have. And so it's becoming very apparent as far as how the world is going, that we really need to pr provide everything for ourselves. And the fact is, is with our own laboratories, with our own growing grounds, we can do much better, um, you know, than even the old school spagyric outfits from Europe. We can much more potent, much more, uh, you know, uh, uh, just, just much more powerful and, and, yep. you know, create the changes that we're ready for. So, um, and then, you know, we want to teach because every area has to have similar operations, you know, where you're providing exactly. for yourself. That's what our the, goal is. The centralized model. So spreads across, we're obviously not expecting to be the only thing out you're doing this. Cause we know there's a lot of amazing operations all across the world doing stuff. So we're just trying to add our little piece and then allowing people to go off and do it themselves. Um, you know, and we're doing this with the 4-H, local 4-H uh, program here. We'll be doing uh, gardening classes. And in fact, I need to reach out to them and get my, I'm definitely my youngest involved with 4-H ASAP. Um, and they're being cool about everything, uh, you know, in terms of the Cornholio. So that's great. Uh, and one last comment here, and I'm not trying to be contentious or anything with this individual because I agree with everything they're saying there. Um, but I guess we have to factor in a lot of different stuff in terms of this manifestation. Three basket living says, uh, here, I'll just put it up on the screen. Um, it can be done without quote unquote costing you any currency and we know currency is a loaded term there um i wish you guys knew that no need for quote unquote donations from your fellow man it's prepaid whether you know it or not you're already funded and so yes i couldn't agree more we've done an entire podcast on this uh on abundance model uh with uh, the science of getting rich we know all about manifestation and as we clearly state in the gofundme we will do it um, however, this is about time. This is a race now. And so what all we're trying to do is we're trying to collaborate with the manifestations of our like-minded people and people in our community so we can co-create this together. And so currently, um, that is in the form of monetary uh, donations that we are then put, putting together, pulling together to create this. Um, but how would you reply to that, Bear? I would first of all agree with everything that person says. And if that person knew uh, some of my personal past experiences where we've been targeted and stripped of everything, you know, um, because of our involvement of just making good things available and telling the truth. Um, and that every step of the way, even in later age, being stripped of er all earthly possessions because of what we do, uh, we just, because of our understanding, we've resurrected ourselves every single time and materialized uh, at this point, a complete farm that's bought and paid for without one single dime from anybody else. And so, yeah, I get those principles uh, just fine. And if it was just me, myself, and and my wife out here, and my dog, and you know we weren't involved with the public at all, uh, I wouldn't be in a hurry at all, and and I'd have no doubt that everything would materialize. 
And so, you know, everybody just, uh, you know, if, if it resonates and, uh, if you want to help out, just like when you, for instance, April. Shoot, you, you. A little piece of paper and pay money to the beast, even though you know it's wrong. And the only reason why you're doing it is because you're afraid to do it. And in the process, you're funding, weaponizing the people that are trying to destroy you. You can make a choice. You can say, well, yeah, I can do that, which most people will end up doing, even if you know better. Or you can, you know, maybe, uh, you know, re, uh, you know, not just donate, but just at least on, uh, you know, more the etheric level support people that are actually trying to do something mm -hmm. good for the planet. So, yeah, I get your point and I don't take anything, uh, you know, negative about it. And yeah. uh, but well, uh, and the only I'll just I just, uh, the only thing I'd add this guy is you're preaching to the choir. Yeah, and I'll just say you mentioned an important factor that goes that is, uh, you know, counter to uh, if we are in a realm of pure manifestation, uh, then yes. Uh, however, we know that there are dark, dark forces attacking. And so, it, you know, we are in extreme situations uh, in this realm right now. And it's important that we help each other out. So um, I have given to many GoFundMes. And uh, the crowdsourcing idea seems to make a lot of sense when we're up against it. So uh, use their own systems against them. So, um, hey, Bear, wonderful chat. Everybody, I hope you enjoyed it. Please give us a thumbs up, share uh, if this resonated with you. And uh, you can find this, of course, at alphavedic.com forward slash alphacast. It's where all our shows are. Please support uh, our guests that we have. And next week we'll have Foster Gamble on from the Thrive Movement. That'll be a fun one. I'll be coming live from Bend, Oregon on a ski trip, but we'll make it work. And uh, thanks again, everybody. And don't forget, we have the free weekend replay of Reunion Summit, reunionsummit.com starts tomorrow. You can catch all the talks, join in on the live chat for each. Uh, it should be a very fun time. Have a wonderful, beautiful Easter weekend. And we'll see you next week. Later.